Uh, welcome to podcast, Andy Parkinson. Lampard uh, Digital Solutions, that's right, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's, that's the official company title. Excellent. <laughs> so, Andy, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about Lampard, if that's all right? Yeah, so, uh, so I run a company called Lampard, which is a, a group holding company for the University of Hull. So what we do is we, we're there primarily to take intellectual property, knowledge, innovation that comes out of the university and to try and commercialise it, put it into commercial products and services, uh, essentially license it, that technology to other partners. And so our business really is about is about innovation. It's about you know, working through that process from an idea. Uh, we have this thing called technology readiness. So it's about how do you move things through the technology readiness kind of process. And um, yeah, the business has been uh, going for about four years. It's uh, it's now a collection of about 30 different products and services, um, lots of different sort of business units within it, uh, which is which is really, really interesting work to do and never ceases to amaze me how much talent and expertise there just is in a university and particularly in Hull there's been some there's been some it's been a real eye opener for me personally so that's kind of the company bit Uh, from my perspective uh been in the region for some time a bit of a passionate advocate for the Humber and for the city and a variety of roles done public private sector been on executive boards as a director in different guises for different companies uh, one of the early directors of C4EI and, and building up the tech hub there and uh, and, and chaired Marketing Humber for, for three years because I was that if you want to do something about something you, you get on and do it don't you so you take those sort of roles so a very uh, yeah, very broad past um, and uh, yeah what I'm doing at the moment is is what I I wanted to get back to just doing things I'm really really passionate and interested about which is about tech and innovation and that sort of stuff so that's me Sounds sounds challenging, sort of managing. I guess thirty to say thirty different products and services. Uh, how do you how do you manage the, that? Because presumably there's quite a breadth of different stuff going on within those businesses. There is, yeah. So there's a very broad range of things. But what you've got to recognise, they're all at different stages. So you know, some are very very early stage concepts. Might have a small prototype that's being developed. Others are much more mature. We've got some products and services that are very mature and in the market and have been in the market for some some time. So it's it's that kind of classic portfolio management approach that you've got to take, but but it's not a science, mm. it's an art, mm. um, and it's about experience and it's about intuition and it's it's about figuring out how do you how do you really weed out the ones that you don't think are gonna get there and try and do that as fast as you can. How do you try and give as much support to the ones that you think can get there? And you need a lot of insight for this type of company. You've got to go and talk to lots of different people all the time because you've got to validate your own your own mm. opinions, mm. and and that you can't do it. Can't run a company like this without having a quite an extensive network, which is what appealed to me because I thought, look, I know a lot of people, mm. so that would be quite quite good. And I've leveraged that network in you know, over the last three years to sort of to help us with some of these things. Is the group structure then Lampard? You mentioned Lampard being a holding company. Yeah. So are all the thirty businesses within it are they their own limited company that have got different ownership structures? I, I, well, you tell me. Yeah. So at the moment, the, the, the company yes is a group holding company, um, but within that we we've got some we've got different types of business units. So some are companies. We've got somewhere we've got equity. Some are just currently in the group company, and they they will spin out to a limited company at a particular time. So. For example, this year there'll probably be four spin-outs yeah. uh, into, into limited companies that, that are in the pipeline. So Where the talent, i.e. The, 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 the uni grad or whatever it is, the, the talented technology minds that are graduating, they may have some ownership as well, if it's their idea. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so we we, we are very flexible and, and quite bespoke about how we work with... We, we call them knowledge creators so yeah. a kind of knowledge creator could be an academic it could be a student or a graduate as, as you've described and yeah we, we cut a, a kind of a deal with that individual but it's done obviously with the benefit they are the inventors yeah we're simply there to support and to help them be successful yeah. so got all of our profits are cycled back into the university the universities is charity mm. yes so so our goal isn't to have super yachts on the on the River Humber <laughs> and everything else. Uh, our goal is to support that individual and make sure they're successful, and then and that's what appeal. That's what I like about this. Company. Yeah, I see. I see yeah. how, as a graduate, for instance, taking the the younger guys, the students or the graduates, as an example, you can see how they might have invented something in the bedroom, sort of to use that cliche. But how on, how the hell do they develop it, take it to market, and all that kind of work, which is where Lampard can help them. 
That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'll give you like just one really small example, and th there's a lot of things going on, but from a student perspective, um, we, we've got an enterprise centre on, on, on the campus uh, run by a chap called Mike Thompson, who's a great guy, and he's, he's, he's doing a great job with, with student enterprise. But this, this chap came to us and said, I've got this kind of idea. Um, it's a kind of an art trading platform. So what I want to develop is, a, is I want to take African art to, to the Western market, there's some amazing kind of artists across mm. different African countries. I want to bring that to some sort of kind of e-commerce platform. I want to connect art buyers and, and galleries and, and, and those kind of buyers from that perspective onto a platform where they can kind of trade. And then, so that's quite a, quite an interesting idea and it, it's quite neat. And then you start to chat to the, to the guy and he's already got artists signed up. So he's already been going across Nigeria and Ghana and other countries. And so he's got his kind of infrastructure of his artists. What he needs is the support, the technical support about building the product and the yeah. platform. But then he, he's got a prototype and he's got a working site, you know, and it's okay, but it's got security issues. So there's things like that that you start to see. And for, for an example like that, you know, we might we yeah we might co-invest with him. We might actually you know, put some developers in to help him get there, and then you know we might have a, an option where he can take his shares back or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever it works for him but that just gives you a little flavor yeah, whatever of works that's whatever right. works and and you know the, the some of these people you meet that they're, they're quite serious and a lot of one of the other things we see a lot of the international students are incredibly driven i mean i mean we've got another an, another nigerian enterprise at the moment where you know, you, four guys developing proper professional outfit yeah. and they're just doing it alongside the studies you know? mm. and it's like it's impressive you know mm. you've got really know what you're doing creating a great product what they need is on this this other platform is an e-learning platform they need connections all they need there is connections so yeah we can we can put you with a, a big international e-learning company you need to speak to so mm. it's sometimes it's just about signposting or yeah helping out. and access to funding as well probably yes like eu funding that kind of thing yeah and, and and the funding landscape is 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 always part of this and, and one of the great advantages of a university is that a lot of the investment that comes from research grants so uh, People like UKRI and Innovate UK, these sort of grant providers, yeah, they will build out some of this technology as part of that grant. So, in in the private sector, of course, what you've got, you've got to find that cash from the beginning. Mm. So through your angel network or through seed capital. Yeah. And what's what's great about this type of work with the university is that a lot of sunk capital is, is kind of already kind of gone through. Mm. So you pick you can pick something up quite far down the line, and that's that's quite attractive then to private investors because well actually how much does this really need now yeah. to get it and, and rather than this bottomless pit sometimes that you get into with, with investments so. how, how do you know which you said earlier you need to know which ones to back and which ones to, to kill or whatever the work was so how do you know that what's the process you go through to, to try and identify that yeah so it, it kind of starts with you know a bunch of meetings and, and conversations so yeah. we, we we don't have a, a kind of a, a written down model. I mean, there is a framework that we work to, but it, it's more about um, you know, classic questions like, you know, well, we really need to understand the market, so let's just do some market calculations. So, the, one, one of the acid tests of most of these ideas is just running a, a little commercial model around. Mm. So, the classic total addressable market, service addressable market, and actually doing those calculations, we, a lot of people talk about it, but do they actually go and demonstrate some numbers? Mm. And we do that very early on. Because that helps you immediately to size. Yeah, actually, this just this just isn't is never going to be exciting enough. You know, mm. from from a, from a if you're as an investor, <coughs> you're only going to be a business that can get to a couple of million. You know, so so that's a key part of it is that kind of commercial model. And on some some we'll we'll do formal market assessments. So and we'll sometimes do that ourselves. Sometimes we we'll bring consultants mm -hmm. in to go and do some of that exercise. So that market assessment process is pretty key. We, we assess the technology, we assess the barriers to entry, so a bunch of different metrics that we look at, and and that's that process is 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 a mixture of, yeah, you know, looking at the individual and and has that person is that person going to drive this business and it's because it's always about people. You can do mm. as much support in the world, but if the person the eventer isn't going to drive it, then you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. So part of it is to sense check. When you're asking the questions, how quickly they're coming back? How, mm. What's the quality like of the answers coming back? Because if they're serious, they've thought about it. Yeah. So that within about six weeks, you get a, a view pretty soon of, I'm nervous about this one. Mm. Once the nerves kick in, you ask more questions, and then that generally will either can right now. We don't think it's going to go anywhere, or or here's a bunch of recommendations that it probably needs, and 
and we, we've had we had an example uh, of a technology exactly like this where it was a brilliant invention of measuring the height of waves in the in the North Sea. So uh, sort of smart wave was, was the concept. Brilliant academic that created it. Um, so it solves a really cool problem, but is that problem valuable to the market? Mm. Everyone goes, oh yeah, that's quite cool. But yeah, but do you want to pay 100 grand a year for the software? Mm. No. So, so, so you very quickly get that. And, and we do that through conversations, you know. We ring Tim Ricks, who's got a shipping business, and say, Tim, mm. can you put us in touch with a guy that understands shipping? So these very informal conversations very quickly mm. help you identify, have we got nervousness around this, or is this kind of going to go to the next stage? So it's, it's if you saw our model on, on a bit of paper, it's quite a, it's quite a detailed stage gate type model. But that's not how you build startups, but you just need to check those off as yeah. you go through the commercial process. sense check yes up front yeah okay and what what percentage of of entrepreneurs or startups whatever you call them that come to you do you then say yeah we're going to take you further we're going to bring you under the umbrella is it like one percent or is it 50 percent it's, that it's much higher yeah I mean, I mean i would say at the moment i would say about two-thirds are active so two-thirds are active in our in our portfolio at the moment they still may not make it yeah, but very. I would say only about ten percent are a kind of nerve very early on from the beginning. Right. You know, we, we will go. Th- yeah, there's always value in something because you've got to remember when academics kind of the way they work, they've already convinced a funder, either being Innovate or UKRI, to, to, to back back a project. So that there's obviously been a reason. Yeah. Initially, mm-hmm. so credibility. So there is already some credibility to it. It's. So, so yeah, I would say I would say less than ten percent of the ones very early saying no, that's just not going to go anywhere. But the rest, um, yeah, we, we take into the portfolio and we and we go through that process. Uh, and what I guess you, you work with both startups and but some of those progress to become scale ups as well. Yes. What what are the biggest challenges that you see? Let's start with startups. What are the biggest challenges that you see with that those kind of type of organisations? I think I think startup. There's all the classic challenges with startups, like yeah, the right people and you know and, and all those commercial sort of sensitivities. But it does boil down to money. Mm. It's it's cash. And and you know, in this part of the world, in the Humber, and I've always sort of said this publicly as well, we don't have a finance network here, you know, that you would have in Leeds or you'd have in Manchester or, or, or in London particularly. So that access to kind of angel funding, seed capital, mm. it's not easy to find. There are networks here, but but they're small, and it's it's quite hard to build mm. a startup in this part of the world actually. Although we've got great digital assets like great connectivity, and we've got you know, We've got great tech hubs like you know obviously C4DI and others. So, but it's the it's the cash, it's the access to the cash, and and we we see that when you're trying to move a product through that process, you've got to have some element, you've got to have some money to pay for some development of that, and that's the that is the the hardest thing. I spend most of my days really just trying to figure out how do I get an extra ten grand put over there, yeah, so I can move that bit on, and oh, I just need a prototype. <laughs> so you're constantly kind of. Yeah spread betting validating you know and and it's a slow i think it's a slow process mm. you know some of the sales cycles for us for a new a new concept could be three years before it gets anywhere near generating money mm. do you so, ever find that within the 30 or because there are 30 or so businesses that you or ideas that you're working with that you're spreading yourself too thinly and yeah and if you're investing even a pound in one that may not have the greatest chances of success it's a pound taken away from one that might be more you know better prospects yeah we we, we encounter that all the time and I, I used to work with a, a chap called Gary Young who was the MD of Kekel I don't know if you ever come across Gary but he's, he's moved down south now but Ga- Gary had this mantra for his directors which is you know it's focus 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 you, know. mm. you can't you can't spread yourself to you. You know, all that was really good sort of advice but we are literally doing the opposite. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, everything, all your intuition says, all your kind of training says, is like, yeah, you've got to focus the business. But we are we are having to do the opposite and try and make it work. So, we, why are you having to do it? Be- because there's so much opportunity, and you, part part of our problem, uh, I would say, problem, part of our challenge is that we are providing a service to the university, so we can't just say, oh actually we've decided we're not going to talk to you tomorrow mm. because that's the that's the that's the business we're in so so we were obliged to try and work with, with with that innovation what will happen over time is our assessments get tighter and yeah. more 
stringent, stringent and, yeah. and eventually yeah. but it's, it's a complex world academia you don't want to discourage academics from wanting to commercialize because yeah they do all this effort in in terms of research they spend years you know becoming experts in areas you don't want to discourage them from then commercializing that because mm. if you look at where, where government are at, at the moment you know there's a huge government drive you know both manifestos of both main parties your r d investment as a percentage of gdp it's currently well, I don't know, well it's numbers 1.9 percent in the uk or something like that target's been 2.4 percent forever and you look at you know france three percent us four percent israel five percent japan five percent so government are so desperate to try and solve how do we get more r d investment in, in the economy now industry is part of that and academia is part of that so this interface between kind of academia and research as an industry needs to get closer and tighter and the tighter that becomes the more R&D investment flows into the economy because you need their research to get into the market you mm. need them to be solving problems so it's really important that we don't discourage academics from wanting yeah. to commercialize because we, we want to make that easy and slick so I've gone into a bit of detail around why it's a challenge because because we yeah. want them to always come we always want them to knock on the door and say we've got something but, but if it was an outright commercial entity without those restrictions or shackles or whatever you might call them from an academic point of view and I, I realize the benefits of um, you know promoting the academic side but without those if you had all your time and attention on two or three gems within the portfolio of 30 those two or three might be infinitely more successful but I realize that's your, that's yeah. not your model it can't be because of the, the universities yeah but here's the trick. So, so here's the trick, and, and we're not at that level of maturity yet as a, as a business. You know, if you look at what other people are doing in our sector, some other universities, Nottingham, Sheffield, they've been doing this for 20 years. You know, whole started out on this journey four years ago. Mm. So, we, we haven't got to that point that you're no. describing. Now, my answer to that would be, well, you can't hang on to stuff. No, we we won't scale them up. Mm. Right? Somebody else has got to do that. So you've got to you've got to find the partners. This is where you really move into you know into Either finding investors that will that you know, what I call smart investments, so people are going to bring knowledge to that business, not dumb investment where it's just cash. Yeah. So we, we would need smart investors, and you need the right scale partners that can that can do it. I, I would not. I don't think it works. And you look around the country, different UK spin out models. That's that is how it's done. We haven't got a business yet to a point where it's where, where, where we're getting to that stage. Um, we've got a few good candidates, but what what are the kind of key indicators that that you think actually we're at a point now where we need to shake hands and wish them on their merry way and move them over to the private sector. Is, there, is it a size? Is it a something to make profit? What does that look like? It's generally around profit. It's, yeah. it's generally around can they cover the costs? That's the that's the big tick. Um, but sometimes we'll take a risk and we'll so we'll we have a we have a business that's in incubation at the moment, which is um, that basically works out how you move freight trains around the country. Um, mm. So it's called NR Plus, and with that business, we we really could see the, the the benefit of it. So we we took the costs into our business very quickly. So we took costs out of the university, put them into Lampada, and that's made a loss for the first two years, and that's been on the balance sheet. So mm. that that is simply because we believed in it, and and you know, two weeks ago we won a huge tender, uh, which has been fantastic. So that business is going to fly now. Yeah. But generally, as a rule, I, I like to see that. We, we there's enough demand to, to cover cost and mm. at that point we can take it out um unless it's a real superstar side business that we think we can do something with have you had any yet that you have um s sold off or sold your stake and they've gone independent or sold to uh, smart investors so not yet so we're, we we've got one that's but is going through an exit um but it's but it's a managed exit so it's a, it's basically about extracting as much value out of it as we can before we kind of sell it or get yeah. rid of it so but not yet um you know so i said we're we're, at, we're early stage um how will you find the buyer for that particular one it, it's going to it's going to go into the market so yeah. that that particular business is in a is in a very defined sector so there's a whole bunch of competitors that are probably interested in it because yeah. of the customer base and things like that um other than that back to the challenge about how do you access finance yeah people in this part of the, mm. the world you know it's difficult so i mean i have a little network of people that, that have investors but i think everyone is wanting the same kind of people isn't it i think mm. we're all looking for that so 
that remains the speed limit, I think, yeah. um, on how you really take this through. We're lucky again in the university that we, we can tap into very small internal grants to do prototyping stuff so that there's a, there's a fund um, which every university gets allocated called the Higher Education Innovation Fund and it's designed specifically for that. Just de-risk, have a go at doing something, will it work? But it's not huge amounts of money, you know. So it's but that's that's been invaluable to our business because we've mm. been able to tap into even small pots of ten, fifteen thousand pounds just to move a, a prototype on, so you can get a business development meeting with someone and you've got a working prototype. Things like that are really, really powerful. So, yeah. is is this a model that you could take just in the private sector? So not related to university, not related to academia, just an investment group that brings a portfolio of startups together and takes a share of that and helps them develop. Does, I mean, does that exist, I guess, in the private sector? Yeah, yeah, Abso- does, absolutely, it? absolutely exists. And, and the, the, the guys at C4DI, you know, very yeah. much doing something similar to that, uh, you know, with good success. Um, yeah, their, their model is, is is interesting because they provide that type of support that, that I'm yeah. describing as well. And, and again, there's probably some sort of equity discussion between the parties, but they're, they're also about providing the kind of, the workplace and the activity for it all to happen so yeah. creating that tech campus and that community yeah. of talent and so yeah absolutely and there's lots of examples out there of of kind of in big investment funds tapping into these types of sort of innovation networks and mm. things like that yeah um i mean if you're an investment fund and you're an investor you're constantly looking for an advantage i mean one of our investors into one of the businesses said something quite insightful when he said um yeah i'm really keen to kind of work with you guys because I've lost. I've I've lost out on four investments through bigger investors. Mm. So even within the investment market, yeah. they're getting top trumps. So they're they're always looking for is there is there a place in the country where mm. there's not a lot of investors that we can tap into the ideas and so that's actually an exact regionally that should be something we should be trying to kind of tap into a little bit. Mm. That there's a there's all this untapped talent here and. Um, and again, you, you know, the guys at C4I have done a lot of this. They've, had, they've brought investors to C4I to sort of showcase off. And, and I think that's that's been reasonably successful. I mean, there's businesses there that have got that have taken money in, and that's been great. We need more of it. Yeah. it. It must be considered pretty high risk, though, for an investor. If, if an investor can go and stick it in a you know, just a normal account now and get a reasonable return, or the stock market and get 7 8% over the long term, what... Are they looking to get really high returns from an investment in that sort of organisation? Because there's a, a level of risk that comes with it as well. Yeah, so yes is the answer to that. You know, it's risk reward, isn't it, the classic yeah. stuff. So what you tend to get with with business startups in this region is if, if because you don't have a lot of leverage, you know, unless your technology is really fantastic and you've got all, if you've got all those kind of key things in place like patents and everything else, yeah. you, you will get, you will be losing a lot of equity. Mm. Yeah, they will be demanding a lot of equity, and it's not uncommon for them to want fifty percent of a business for what will really be quite a small, modest investment. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We, we have an—I mean, we have an investment going th- where we have a head of terms agreement on, a, on another business um, with, with an investor, and you know, their starting point for what they wanted for the amount of money they're putting in, and you think, and I'm literally like say, but when I was a junior manager in a, in a local authority, I had authority to sign off more than money for this budget. So <laughs> I can't believe a company our size. And then, and then we had to go and meet the, the shareholding bank that owned this company in London. So we went and met this guy, you know, sharp suit, you know, he's yeah. Yeah, absolutely pristinely turned out and his little Aston Martin pocketbook and all the rest <laughs> of it. And we go and have this meeting and I'm like, you know, for what was probably 200 grand or something. I'm like, I just can't believe I'm sat here. Mm. I can't believe in an organisation your size that that you're that bothered about a two hundred grand investment. And I remember when I did some work with Dave Kilburn at MKM, and um, I'm sure he won't mind me talking about this. But but Bain Capital at the time, you know, obviously still at MKM. Mm. Yeah, when you're talking about some of the sums of investment and yeah, a million pound investment in into some sort of e-commerce platform or something. And yeah, I remember the guy from Bain saying to me, he said, uh, "My people will look at that number." For about three seconds and turn over the page, <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously for David, quite right. It's a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, yeah. a million quid, and yeah. and I think, yeah, that that always stuck with me. And, and so you get all these different disparities in the investors about what they want and what their view is, and and it's ultimately about the size of the fund. You know, yeah. if, if Bain are a ninety billion dollar asset company, so just they're not a few more zeros. Yeah. 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 Whereas if you if you're working with an angel network where 
10 grand to an angel investor is a lot of money. Mm. They're going to want everything because yeah. they've got more to lose, right? So, yeah, and and that's what we suffer with in this region to some extent. We, you know, I mean, we've got wealthy people, but when you go to other parts of the country, the world, it's you know, there there are huge pots of money out there. And, and how do the the entrepreneurs, if you like, feel about they've, they've slaved away in their bedroom for three years building something until the early hours of the morning, and then suddenly someone says, "Yeah, I'll give you ten grand, but I want fifty percent of everything you've done over the last three years." How does that conversation go? It can be really mixed. I mean, in academia, it's not so bad. Academics are rarely motivated by being millionaires, right? Mm. They're, they're just motivated by, I want my thing to be out there and see that people, have I invented that. Yeah. Entrepreneurs may be slightly different. And, you know, it, it depends on on how desperate they kind of are to get that product to market. Now, we've all seen Dragon's Den, so you've seen those, nego- those stage negotiations, haven't you? And you see the different sort of almost different types of entrepreneurs. Those that just want to, I'll just sign. I don't care what you offer me, I'm signing. Mm. Uh, versus those that are clearly like deluded. Deluded. Mm. And you're just like, I would say you're 100% of bugger yeah. all. Like, you know, 50% <laughs> or 80% yeah. of something with the chance to go with one of these. And they won't be successful, will they? You know, you go about yeah. three years, they won't have been successful. Yeah. So, so yeah. It, it's a mixed bag. I, I think is it, to build a business as an entrepreneur, you know, you need to be so focused and and bought into your product, you know, because that's mm. the only way you're going to motivate yourself, I think, mm. isn't it? But of course, that probably clouds your judgment when you're into some of these deals. And and I've I've certainly seen that for my my small part in, in this in this arena is that you almost need somebody else with you, just giving you that kind of actual sense check that I hear what you're saying that you think your product's the best thing ever, but actually I'd be taking this deal, yeah. <laughs> or actually yeah. or the opposite, or these guys are just going to absolutely give you they're just trying to take far too much for what you've got so it's it, it's a real it's a is difficult that, thing is that your yeah. job is that what you do you're, you're the voice on the shoulder saying really you should be taking this or yeah i mean i mean i've, I've played that role in the past for some businesses so yeah, i mean i've i've helped yeah through, through the c40 ideas and yeah. some businesses there yeah. have helped some others. i think in in my world now you know i'm just yeah i'm part of the negotiation process yeah um of, of trying to do that with academia with academia it's fairly straightforward but you know, we've got other investments at the moment where we have we are in commercial negotiations, and you know, th- I mean, that process always fascinates me. I mean, I, I love that the how a commercial deal is struck because the amount of theatre that goes in, <laughs> and like, you know, I'm quite interested in psychology in general, but it's such obvious psychology what's unfolding yeah, yeah, in front yeah. of you, and you're like, yeah. I ain't got time for it. Yeah, <laughs> just like Christ, uh, so <laughs> obvious. So, what one there was a, there's, a, there's a chap actually at C40I. He, he was a great guy, and if, if, if people listening you should check this guy out. It's a guy called Bob Spence, mm. and he I met Bob. he he does negotiation training. Mm. And the great thing about negotiation training is nobody else does no negotiation training. That's, that's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. So Bob if you do your training right, you're in a great position. And and that was yeah. We when I worked at Spencer Group with Charlie. Um, yeah, that's such a commercially aggressive industry. You know, mm. I mean, and certainly not my, for not my part. Yeah, some of the other directors and what they were involved in. You're dealing with regulated clients. It's so contractually aggressive. So you're constantly negotiating. Yeah. Such so Charlie, we should just get everyone negotiation training, right? And mm. Bob came and did it. Was brilliant. And but you after you do that, you see. You, you can't, it's like the Matrix. All of a sudden, you just see the yeah. kind of what's happening in front of you. And you can clearly see what's happening. It's, it's the same with being yeah. sold to. Because we've had sales training here, and we do a lot of sales training for our teams. Next time I've been buying a car or buying whatever, they're trying to do it back to me. I, think, well, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Stop wasting my time. Exactly. You do see it. You do see it, don't you? And yeah. I, I mean, it's, but the theatre of it is quite interesting. So it's all about playing people in position at the right time in the point of the process you're in and mm. escalation paths and taking the heat mm. out of it and you know and ooh, actually we have to come back to you on that point and we'll have to go check with the CA on that one so it's all theatre yeah, right? and and to your point I mean I'm I'm in the same place as you know I mean and I go into discussion that are we going to do this which way are we doing this are yeah. we going to play the game and all dance around or we're we just going to have an honest conversation yeah. and get a deal done yeah. and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't and, it, and um, we've found it with acquisitions we've made a few acquisitions in the last few years and more recently, when we got into heads of terms with a, um, a target, it was it was just dead straightforward. The, me and the other guy were both of the same same sort of mindset, and we're thinking, where do we need to be to get this done? Well, that's a bit high, or it's a bit low. Right, let's just do that. Call it that. Let's get on with it. Yeah. And the cool. negotiation yeah. lasts 
15 minutes or that's less. Rare. That's rare though, isn't it? Is Maybe. it? I don't Most know. people, there is the fear tape. We, we see it every every week. You know, we deal with clients all yeah, day, every day. There's yeah, from a customer's yeah. Small and big negotiations. Yeah. With the, um, the smart investor sort of identity, can a smart investor be a business? So Spectrum, for instance. So I know you don't know a huge amount about us yet, but um, in the sense that we're a business that are acquisitive and be looking for the next digital opportunity that will form part of Spectrum Digital's portfolio, it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we find a, a, a graduate or an, well maybe if more likely a graduate that's got a startup that is over the road at Lampada and we think that there's a place for that in our portfolio. But what that guy lacks is the sales engine and the infrastructure and all the stuff that we have as an established business. I can see a way where that might form part of what we do. Is that something that you would look yeah. at, do you think? 100%. I mean, yeah. businesses should be investors. There's a whole bunch, I mean, you can read extensively in academic literature about why businesses should be more entrepreneurial mm. and how, how their their own investments in R&D will drive the economy, all that stuff. And, and there's Gartner, there's PwC studies on businesses that do that are in the top 25% growth quartiles all the time and mm. so it's yeah 100 percent. and and i think those are the type when i was describing partnerships they're the types of partnerships that work you know we've got something over here we accept it needs something else and if you've got another partner that can bring that it doesn't have to be an investor per se it can be a business it can yeah. be an organization and the one of the investors we've got in in our in our freight um, software is exactly that. They're, they're a company that are, yeah. are operating in that market. They're not mm. an investor. They might want to enhance their service or diversify ever so slightly um, and broaden their portfolio. And that, that's exactly it. They, they see this product you know, transforming what they do operationally, but then they think, well, the upside then is if it commercializes as well, we've mm. got a yeah. stake. So, yeah, so yeah it, definitely. Is it just technology businesses that you invest in? Is no. It, no. It, it can be anything. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, one of our most success, successful businesses at the moment is is a business called the Center for Human Factors. So this is an occupational psychology consultancy. Um, Professor Fiona Rell, who's just an expert in understanding um, well-being and stress risk. So you know, why do you get, why does workplace stress uh, happen? How does it contribute to poor mental health? All of that stuff. And she's got quite unique tools and techniques that she deploys and um, she's got new innovative ways about how you research that and and that business up to this point is doesn't really touch technology mm. um you know and it's only 18 months old and it and it's it's turned over nearly a million quid in what did they sell months. did they sell the consultancy time yeah so yeah. they sell sort of they sell projects so that they they go in and we'll say right there's kind of three steps for them first step is we identify occupational stress risk so take your organization that yeah, they would come in and say right we're going to work out what is driving um you know, stress in your organization so mm. it's kind of the first step they then obviously give you advice and expertise and interventions about how you can stop that so how do you move from tertiary interventions to preventionary type interventions and they help you with that and then where that business is at now and its growth is um you know project to project revenue is quite difficult when you're trying to scale a consultancy business so we need to productize it and that's actually where the technology is now going to come into that business because we built a platform a digital platform that's going to allow managers um, to have a it guides a manager through a conversation with an employee mm. around how to manage those risks mm. nobody's trained in that i mean we get mental health first aid type training but that's not really what this is like that on steroids it's it, how do you have that type of risk-based conversation so that's an example of a business that wasn't a technology business, but is probably going to become one. Mm. And um, you know, we, local government at the moment is where the market is for that because you've got you know social care services with so, the stress risk, number of people with sickness absence for stress is through the roof uh, in in local government and in the health service. So they're they're clamouring for what what is out there, you know, mm. and it's this is not about you know there's, there's a whole bunch of occupational health type businesses that will do the well-being stuff, and this is this is much more the scientific bit around how you actually identify, remove it, and and in theory you should come out with with much better, healthier, mentally healthier people, and the the, the numbers around it are crazy. Mm. Like in local government, I think Deloitte have done a study that says government commissioned them. It's about two thousand pound a head is the cost of of, of, of stress um, for a per employee. Mm. So you've got kind of two issues. You've got sickness absence, 
so I'm physically not at work. And then you've got presenteeism mm. where you're at work and you shouldn't be at work yeah. and you're just not productive. So this this in local government, to give you the size of the problem, it's yeah, we, we think somewhere between 10 to 20% of local authority workers are suffering severe mental health problems at the moment. And their sickness rates are you know, huge. You quantify that up and it's about three, 400 million quid. Yeah. There's a cost every year. Yeah, just that, so this product aims to kind of reduce that Mm. But but it's an example of something that just came out of you know, occupational psychology, um, and is now turning into a bit of a technology business. Okay. But it's very it's very very broad. Um, whatever an academic is working on is potentially could potentially come our way. So yeah. I mean, it could be anything. Are there certain areas that you you kind of look for? So I mean, I mean there's buzzwords. There's AI that's yeah. everywhere at the minute. You're looking for AI businesses within within the university or. Is it just whatever kind of stumbles across you? I, th- I think, yeah, we, we, we're, we're trying to follow trends. So, yeah. you know, a lot of our work is, we were talking earlier about going out and talking to people and network and things like that. So we're constantly monitoring what businesses want. What are the challenges they've got? What are they talking about? So businesses are constantly talking about um, climate change, net zero. We really should be doing more on that. How do we do it? So, you know, that's a constant theme. Data, big data yeah. still remains. Uh, whatever the hell that means, you know, nowadays big data, but it's still about how do we get value out of our data? That that remains a, a thing. That's morphed into the AI yeah. Yeah. discussion now. Uh, yeah, efficiency, cost control, you know, productivity, and and actually, while we go and talk to a business about net zero, what we're really talking about is efficiency. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. about climate. It's about your operation. It's about resource utilization. It's yeah. so. We, we tend to follow the themes and, and so we take that demand into the university. What we do is we go looking for, right, who have we got? What bodies of research have we got that might solve that problem? So we kind of play this matchmaking service and that's been quite successful in the last two or three years. And, you know, we can find, and there's all, I can guarantee there'll be somebody in that university that can solve pretty much any challenge. Mm. <laughs> You've just got to go find them. Mm. And there they are, beavering away, doing, doing outstanding work and they're just p- publishing. Yeah. yeah, and yet this business over here has got it. Well, I, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm. So that that that's the kind of sweet spot. Interesting. So if we as a business had a, we want to, we want some innovation within a certain area, a certain product set, then we could come to you and say, actually, we, we see a big opportunity in this area. Have you got somebody in the university that's doing some research in that space that we you could connect us up with? That's exactly it. Yeah, and if it morphs into something, it morphs into it. So yeah. when I was at KCOM as a as a director at KCOM we were having a real big problem with with wireless connectivity so th- this is it's all changed now i mean this is probably about seven or eight years ago but when when the internet when fiber was really being rolled out everyone was ringing the internet service around the internet don't work so they go on the website they go on their checker tool and they, the net, so it's, it's a network monitoring tool so they go on and go yeah it's working what they meant was the wi-fi is not working mm. yeah right so you've got wi-fi technologies has increased significantly but when i was running customer experience stuff at KCOM, it was driving me insane. It was like 24,000 calls a month coming in. Yeah. People saying, yeah, my fish tank didn't connect to the internet or wherever it was, because you know, <laughs> everything's, with IoT, everything's going to the internet. So how do you solve this? Because, so we went to the university and said, actually, um, have you got any expertise around you know, around telecoms? We, we need people and expertise that really understand um, how you can spot problems with Wi-Fi connectivity and, and yeah, Lo and behold, there's a professor sat there that that's their life's work. Mm-hmm. So we, we worked on some prototypes with them at the time, and, and where we were trying to get to was was proactive um, sort of responsive monitoring. So essentially putting a device in a house that constantly scans for interference problems mm. and then notifies you as the, the business, and then you automatically test the customer to say, we're, we're fully aware mm. um, that there's a problem, and actually we're going we're gonna to do this or we're going to do that. Cause Back in yeah, eight years ago, people didn't realise you put a baby monitor on in your house, mm. you'll knock out seventy percent of the speed of your Wi-Fi. Mm. Right. And yeah. You, you know, then you put your microwave on at the same time, and if you've got a cheap, you know, power pack from China, that's it. Mm. It kills it. And then and then it can if the, obviously the connection drops to a point, it then drops the connection completely, and then you've got to reconnect. And the internet's not worse. You, you're in KCOM, twenty-four thousand calls a month. You know, it's so. Those examples are, is where you know, university is really useful because we got a load of insight. Yeah, you know, we had engineers, we had like hundred people mm. that specialised in this. You go and speak to some people in the university, it's like you would. We learned some stuff. Yeah, interesting. Um, so you're obviously passionate about this this region, Humber region. What, yeah. What What do you think the future is for 
for this region over the next 10 years? Because I know uh, kind of renewables was the, the big focus a few years ago. That yeah. was we were going to be the, the winner in terms of the renewable sector. Is that still the case or do you think there's a different direction for us? It's, yeah, so it's, it's still the case. Um, you know, still the big game in town for the region is to capitalise on on you know renewable green investment technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I have a I have a nervousness about it. You know, I, I think a lot of the new net zero kind of industries so that will that will come up, the volume of jobs I'm not sure are quite are quite maybe what we think they are. Mm. Uh, I'll say it sort of sensitive as I can, but yeah, you know, the hydrogen economy, which hydrogen is. is been talked about and has been for many years. Yeah, a, a hydrogen storage facility is, is quite a small number of people mm. running that facility. It's not yeah. a large number of people, right? So, and we, we've got a huge employment um, structure in this region at the moment of people employed in high carbon industries. Mm. So we're going to have this transition. Yeah, and you look at the age profile of the people in those high carbon industries. The, yeah, the, there's a there's a huge gulf coming where you know, who's going to work in these high-skilled jobs? Because at the moment, what we've got in, in the region, we've still got deprivation, we've still got, you know, we've still got low-skilled kind of people on level two, level three. If you're Siemens, you're in a global skills market, right? Mm. You, you, yeah, they'll do, I've done a wonderful job locally, but, but they're a business and they'll get the best people in the world to come and work for them. So th- there's a, th- I've, I've got a concern about the economics around some of that, and I'm not an economist, but just, just when you look at, you just look at the numbers at a macro level, you think, how does that work? So, but it's still going to be the game in town for the region. But my my biggest issue at the moment, and this is what I'm probably going to start banging the drum a lot more on, is we have an economy at the moment around economic development plans and everything else. I don't see emerging technology driving that economy. So the big gaps for me at the moment for us is things like, well, what does AI mean for economies in general? And what is our plan as, as, as the region? Do we have any actual natural assets that would allow us to compete more in that space? And mm. so I feel at the moment we've, we're missing the technology-led element of our economic development approach at the moment as a, as a region. I was going to say, as a region, not as a UK, or probably probably both. Yeah, I think region, I th- well, m- maybe a bit of both, but, but yeah. We've always had an amazing opportunity in this region around digital and tech, mm. and we've never really capitalised on it properly. A uh, whole bunch of reasons for that we probably shouldn't go into, but but there's, but that still remains the opportunity. And, and if I look if I look at economic development strategies now across the region, it's not technology led. Mm. It's 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 classic stuff, right? So that's the big leap we've got to make. And I, and I actually think businesses like yourselves, um, we need a group of people that we need business to, to, to help with this and to lead this agenda because we mm. can't just keep saying local authorities need to do it councils should do it it's not really it's not really their f- they, they do the best right with what, with what they've yeah. got um, they need businesses to say this is how we want the economy to look and we need help in these areas and so that's the big that's the big debate I think coming over the hill for us in, in the region is when you look at AI and you look at all these emerging technologies that are going to hit us mm. what's our strategy for that Mm. You know, what is our economic strategy? How are we going to leverage all that stuff? And it might be that we don't have the natural assets. So think of something else then. So, so you, you move on. So we, that process, you know, I, I'd be, I'm really keen to engage in discussions with other tech-focused businesses on that, you know, particularly businesses like you guys who are, you know, you, you, you're, inc- you're growing, you know, you've, you're a, a stable business. You, you're in that bracket where you're not a small company. So you guys are a great example of the type of business I think that should be going right. What, what, what do we want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're we're a company that are trading in this in this part of the world, but what what do we want around us? Yeah, from a tech perspective, we're keen to be part of that conversation. I think it's someone's got to grasp the nettle and yeah. take lead on defining that strategy. And yeah. and then you know, people like the university, the vice chancellor, a great guy, Dave Petlers, come from Sheffield. You know then you can get those kind of anchor institutions working yeah. with you, you know, but I yeah. think it's got to be business-led. I, 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 I'm in, I think the councils do a great job with the resources they've got. I mean, they've, they've been decimated, by yeah. the way, from a budgetary perspective, and there's some great people in, in the local sources, but business needs to step up for me. I think we need to step up and lead it. Yeah. And and so that regionally, I think that's where we need to get to. I, I, I'm, I still worry about so the skills issue in this part of the world. I still think... It's not an easy challenge to fix, but you, know, you look at the new jobs in renewables. Renewables 
I'm talking very broad terms here, but you know, if you look at those sort of jobs, they are higher value jobs, you know, mm. significantly higher value. So to get those higher value jobs, you need those qualifications. Yeah. So we're going to have a bunch of people still in parts of East Riding and Goole and potentially in part of in Hull, where how do you mobilize? How do you mobilize that? that group of people because that's where the volume is and mm. we've got enough people to fill those jobs but we yeah. haven't got skills. So it, it's that conundrum for me that, that I'm, I'm personally fascinated about you know it's about aspiration how do, how do you raise aspiration of people in some of these parts and how do you inspire people and mm. that is what will make a huge difference to our economy if we can get more of these jobs landed locally and we can protect the hard to you know those kind of high carbon sector jobs and we can manage that transition properly yeah, I, I still and, and always will say well, this is a great part of the world to do business. I think, you know, it's got great land prices. It's it's a good place to live. It's got good facilities and services. It's got great transport infrastructure. People, people, I used to wind me up when I was down in like you know, working with Whitehall in London and comments like a oh, hole's in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, no, that isn't at all. Yeah, it's right in the middle of the country. It's easy to get to, mm. and I can yeah, and I can get to if I, if I get Europe. a ferry to Europe, right. I can access more households within a two-hour drive time from Rotterdam than I can from Hull in the UK. Mm. Yeah. So I have the same size market on my doorstep for the whole of the UK that I do it from Hull. So it's just about thinking differently about it. And, mm. and so, yeah, I think I think we've got loads going for us in this region. Um, yeah, we we've, we struggle with, with the obvious problem, which is that the kind of political dilemma around devolution that that's where our handbrake is at the moment is that you know, without that um, that devolved kind of mayor mayoral authority um, government's kind of rules that they've set at the moment is that mm. that's how you get larger amounts of investment that's yeah. how you get now you know that's that's a challenge because politically it's a challenge and I'm not a politician I'm sure you should like Ross and should get Anne from East Riding on they could come and talk <laughs> about it but uh, you know I'd I, I actually take a bit of a different view on some of that stuff now. I, I think, y yes, it'd be great if you had it, but d d don't, don't kind of wait. Don't rely on it. Yeah. Just don't wait. Yeah, just do yeah. something else. Yeah, we, we're good enough and, and clever enough in this region to come up with something else. It's a great point on the number of bodies, actually. I'm, I did some, I, we used to work for a provider of protective equipment in, in the region, and I was, asked, uh, uh, okay, so <laughs> I was asked... Arco. So we did a lot of work with oil and gas, offshore oil and gas yeah. at the time, and I was... My job was kind of market analyst, so I was told, "Don't worry, because offshore wind is coming. So let's have a look at the offshore wind market and yeah. just kind of scope the size of that market versus oil and gas." Big challenge is that you know, loads of people get sent onto an oil and gas platform, and you need lots of high vis and helmets. With offshore wind, the idea is you don't send anybody out there That's ever. Right. There's just no no bodies, and yeah. you, it's a great point, kind of getting getting people thinking about that. It's just it's maintenance. It's it's te technology driven maintenance, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's light touch, it's automation, it's all that good stuff, which is what we want for productivity, yeah. the jobs. So it's so you know we we've I I still think we we've done a rem a remarkable turnaround in, in the Humber from where mm. we were. You know, I mean, if you read some of the history books and you know we we suffered years of industrial decline here. Mm. You know, mm. and we, I mean, I, when I was I mean I worked for the local authority for about seven years, one of my sort of first early jobs. And when I look back to what was the state of what was going on then regionally, you know, it was bad. This was mm. not a great place. Um, it's unrecognisable from that perspective. So I, I, do, I think we punch above our weight. I, I think we're, we're guilty. I, I still think we're guilty in this region of we've got so frustrated with it and the relationship with government that we just now demand, well, you should just give us things. Mm. And, and I still think we're guilty of not properly defining what it is we want. Mm. And well, what projects are we really trying to mobilise at a sort of kind of macro regional level i still don't think we've got that right um there's some things that, that are going on but you know gov government as in our investors as well we've talked about FS, you know, they are investors and you, yeah. you work with whitehall um sort of officers in, in the civil service all they're bothered about is a return so mm -hmm. if i put a, a pound in manchester i'll probably get 10 pound back if i put a pound in hull will i get 10 pound probably not so mm -hmm. These are the metrics that yeah. you, you need ambitious projects then to demonstrate those types of returns, and then you do get an interesting conversation, parking all the political side of it. But so yeah, I still think I'd like to see the region do more on, on ambition and yeah. and really stretching the thinking. And and when Tim uh, Ricks, who sort of came up with the Lagoon idea and things like that, and yeah, again park all the all the sort of fours and against is for it. But I just loved it because it's just a great 
big ambitious it's idea, isn't it? Different, isn't it? Somebody yeah. just decided, you know yeah. what, I'm going to have a go at something. Brilliant. Yeah. I just wish we had 10 of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, and, and last question. So the, the podcast is called Tomorrow's Workplace Today. So um, if you could cast your mind forward 10 years in terms of a workplace, what, what do you think the big differences would be versus today? Oh, 10 years, right. So I, I, I'd be amazed if in 10 years we are not, we've not got a lot of digital integrated tools that are helping us do our day jobs. So ChatGTP is an obvious answer to that. Um, but I think you're going to see an explosion of different applications that use the, the principles of large yeah. language models and things like that. I think whilst, I've, whilst I've, I've cooled on my excitement around some of that stuff, I, I still think that the breakthrough technology around kind of large language models is is there now mm. and I can't see that not progressing into a whole bunch of applications that help you on your day job yeah. so I, I think you're going to almost have a, a digital everyone will almost have a digital personal assistant I can kind of see that starting to emerge and so when we talk about digital twins which is a kind of thing obviously in tech isn't it about digital twin thing I, I almost think you might have a digital work twin yeah. mm. So, right, I need to do this task. I'm going to ask my digital work twin to do it for me, or how do I do this? And think about technologies even in manufacturing, like augmented reality technologies. All this stuff is kind of there, not massively embedded yet, but but that's where we're heading, isn't it? Is mm. right, I need to change a part on a machine. Well, I'm just going to flip the app up, and it's going to walk me through it step by step mm. to do it. So I think that digital, I'm trying to think of a good word, but digital assistance, yeah. Yeah. I think will go through the roof. And, and I think in 10 years, most workplaces, most most people will have a huge digital assistant type resource that they're tapping into. Other than that, I, I think it will be fairly <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Then. Let's say you're in a good place for it. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I think it will. I don't think there'll be mass changes, and I think I think just technology is going to shift. Mm. Our habits of work, I think, will be reasonably similar. Yeah. Mm. We're in a I weird like place, aren't we? Because the pandemic and everyone's oh, nobody's going to work in an office again, and I was like cost they are yeah yeah but but i think you know it became more acceptable than ever to have remote working i think that's what the pandemic did do there's now rushes back to the office Mm. but um but i still think you know hybrid working yes um more digital technology helping you yes um i think there'll be a huge push around mental well-being so i think that will be very different in 10 years i mean i I know from our relationship with hse um, that there's going to be legislation like there is in physical health and safety that's going to eventually come for mental safety Mm. so the way you manage as a company your employees is going to change so there's going to be that's going to disrupt hr hugely so i think there'll be things like that that will be very different i think as workers yeah will be incredibly looked after because they'll mandate it Mm. um but other than that i think we'll still be coming in and out of work i think we'll still be doing stuff like this good stuff good answer Andy, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. It's been, been really good to have you. Pleasure. Thanks very much.